Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 210th episode. I'm not sure what gift you give for 210 as far as anniversaries go, but we're going to proceed forward even with that uncertainty looming in our rearview mirror. So as I do every 10 episodes, I interact with emails and with uh, comments and with uh, social media chirps and all that sort of stuff. And I've got some good ones today. Two are gear focused and one is also kind of focused on stuff, but stuff that you use when you are not necessarily on the water. So uh, why do I do this? I do this because this is a great change of format and a great change of pace. Uh, it, it's the closest thing that I get to a dialogue on the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast. Generally speaking, as I've talked about even last week, it's 20 minutes of me talking about a subject. Generally, it's something I've written about in recent history uh, on the website, and I just explore it a little bit more. I'm able to go uh, off script uh, in the sense that I don't have a script, and I can just kind of talk about things in as much as if we were hanging out uh, on at the fly shop or at the restaurant after fishing uh, for the day. So that is what I like to do on a normal situation, but every 10 episodes, I like to split it up. So these are kind of three short segments on uh, questions, comments, and recommendations, and sometimes accusations that I get from you, the reader. And as I always say, even if your comment or question doesn't make the podcast, uh, I, I do get back to you. So let me know, Matthew at castingcross.com. Oftentimes there's a flurry of emails that comes after these podcasts. And so if, if, they, uh, if they are profound, then they stick around until uh, 10 episodes later. But well, let's get right into it. And the first one has to do with Flyline. And as you know, if you've been part of Casting Across for any period of time, I think Flyline matters a lot. I think your line is the quickest cheapest, easiest way to get more out of your gear. Good fly line isn't going to make up for bad casting, but good fly line is going to make good gear better and better gear great. Uh, and so you can do that with an extra $20. It's not like uh, fly rods where you can spend an extra $400 to get a, you know, a, a tier up as far as technology and materials go. But what you can get for $25 more in fly line really, uh, really does matter. And it, it is expensive these days. I mean, you are talking about almost $100. But in the grand scheme of things, if you lay out all of your fly fishing gear, 
And you said, I have a $50 bill. How could I add this to this pile of stuff and, and really improve my time on the water? With the exception of that $50 somehow buying you another day on the water and more time, uh, I would say that putting that money towards uh, a fly line is probably going to be your best bet. So Alex wrote me a question. Alex said, hi, thanks for a great podcast. I'm looking into getting a small stream rod and have, of course, read over your article about it. Looking at the new three-weight, seven-and-a-half-foot butter stick from Reddington. I'll be fishing mainly Big Hunting Creek, which I think you're quite familiar with. I am. And eventually getting to the small streams of Shenandoah National Park. I've read some differing opinions on fly lines for small stream applications, double tapered, weight forward floating. In your opinion, what is a good type of fly line for those short casts you need for small streams? Any favorite fly lines you like for this type of application? Thanks and keep up the good work. So great question. This is a question that I have responded to as much as probably any other question I've ever received uh, is what kind of fly line should you use for a small stream uh, fly rod? And uh, the places that Alex is going to be fishing are places that I have fished. Uh, Big Hunting Creek has probably seen more uh, stream time from me than any stream outside of uh, the Pennsylvania streams I lived on. Uh, a lot of time on Big Hunting. Uh, Big Hunting Creek flows out of Cunningham. Well, it's, it's in Cunningham State Park, and also it flows out of Catoctin Mountain uh, National Park uh, in Maryland. It's about an hour and a half west of D.C. Uh, beautiful, beautiful spot. It actually flows kind of adjacent to Camp David, um, but uh, you, you won't be walking into that property if, if, if you are doing normal activities. So how do I, how do I answer this question? So what I think is that a weight forward line is going to be your best bet. So I have used double taper lines in the past, and I have not been excited about them. And here's why. On short casts, it's not going to matter. Like on those 10 to 15 foot casts, you could use almost anything. You could really overline your rod. So if you have that three weight, you could put a four weight or a five weight or a six foot, a six weight line on that. And if it's going to be a 10 or 12 foot cast, it's not going to matter uh, what the taper is. Um, you can even underline and, you know, use like a two weight line. And it's, you're, you're going to have to compensate with your, your stroke a little bit, but there's just not a lot that goes into a 10, 12 uh, foot cast. However, uh, once you find yourself in those situations where you are going to make a longer cast, that's when the taper of your fly line, as well as the grain weight, which of course is what corresponds to that line designation, two, three, four, five, etc. That's where that is going to matter. And it's in that situation where a weight forward fly line is going to shine. A double taper line, the really the only benefit of a double taper line, is, as far as I'm concerned, is that you have a line that you can flip around and use twice. So once one end of that line, the terminal end of the line that gets attached to the uh, leader gets chunked up from being dragged over rocks and from all that sort of stuff, uh, then you can flip it over and the line that was attached to your backing is the exact same profile as the line that you had been using. So this is fine and good. And if you're really strapped for cash, then I say go for it. Uh, the issue with that is if you take care of your fly line, you're going to get years and years and years out of it. So you're talking a, a savings of maybe 40 bucks or 50 bucks if you buy a really nice double tip of fly line over the course of six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. 
I don't think it's worth it for missing out on the benefits that you get from having a weight forward line with a taper where it goes from thin where it attaches to your uh, your your leader to getting thicker and creating a belly and then thinning out to a running line so you are effectively throwing a weight with your with your cast and of course you can get online and look at the different taper profiles and there are taper profiles that are specifically designed to accommodate light rods short rods and small streams so they're going to move that belly into a tighter little spot on that fly line and they're going to push it forward so you're not going to have eight or ten feet from the belly to that terminal end where you tie your tippet uh, it's going to be closer to to your your knot than that um, it's also going to be a more compact belly on your fly line so that's my my perspective and and honestly I don't want to be in a situation where I am on a stream like he mentioned, Big Hunting Creek, a very pressured stream where there are long stretches where you are able to bomb out, you know, and in this situation is bombing out 30, 40 foot casts. And I want to have the precision, the accuracy and the touch that comes with having a weight forward fly line. So all things being equal, uh, taking care of your fly line uh, is going to mean that it's going to have longevity you're going to have a lot of value from a weight forward flat line. So I know people that love double tapers. I just, I, I don't enjoy the way they cast at distance at 20 feet at 25 feet. Uh, it, I, I don't, I don't like it. It's maybe because it's I'm used to, to weight forward, but um, honestly, I feel like I can adapt my cast to different uh, grain weights. So if I'm fishing a floating line versus a sinking line or in intermediate line, even if I throw like a poly leader on there, I'm throwing a larger rig with, um, with, with, uh, strike indicators and weights and multiple flies and things like that. I feel like I can kind of compensate for that. Um, as long as I have a weight forward fly light on there, uh, that is the driving force in my cast, a double taper fly line. I'm just not as comfortable with, but again, that's personal preference. Everyone's stroke is different. Everyone's rod that they're using is going to be different. So those two things together may actually, uh, dictate which direction you go. But I would say nine out of 10 times, maybe seven out of eight times. Uh, I would suggest a weight forward fly line for people. Um, now, as far as brands go, I don't throw out brands a lot, but, uh, the, the two that I really enjoy, the ones I have multiple spools of on multiple small stream fly rods are Rio's Creek line and Royal Wolf's triangle taper. So Rio's Creek and Royal Wolf triangle taper. Um, I think they're fantastic rod, uh, lines. Uh, they, they work on uh, glass and bamboo and on graphite. I have, I have multiple uh, spools of each one of those for different types of rods. And they're on the higher side of the price spectrum. Uh, but at the same time, you're talking $20, $30, $40 more than a middle middle grade uh, fly line. Uh, but these are two that I really enjoy. As far as what is on my seven and a half foot three-way butter stick, it is the Rio Creek line, and it, it is a great pairing. So hopefully that's helpful for, for everyone, um, not just Alex. And again, that's you know nine minutes of talking about a uh, uh, fly line for small streams, but it matters. It really is a great, simple way to improve your casting. And if you're struggling, if, or if a fly rod that you thought you were in love with at the store you get home and you're just not, you're not having the same sort of success and the same sort of accuracy and feel It's probably the fly line. You didn't change. The rod didn't change. It's probably the fly line. They might've had a premium spool of line on there at the store. And there is going to be a difference. If you go cheap, you know, you spend every last penny on that rod and you, you, you cheap out on the line, you are going to notice it. And that's even true on a small stream. So Alex, 
Thanks for the question, and I hope you get one of those lines on there and that you catch lots and lots of wild trout um, on, on big hunting and in the Shenandoah National Park. I'd love to hear how that is going. Second thing, so I write a article, it was monthly for a while now, but I'm now kind of like an every other month pattern with uh, Tim Camisa's Trout and Feather website. Uh, absolutely great site, excellent YouTube channel, uh, all sorts of content, but more often than not, he's talking fly tying. And so I wrote an article called um, How to Build Your uh, Analog Angling Library. And I got a ton of responses from folks about book recommendations. And here's here's four. Um, Dave says that he wrote a book called The Venerable Fly Tires. I usually don't throw out last names, but if you wrote a book, I'm going to give your last name so people can find you. The Venerable Fly Tires uh, by Dave Jankowski. Uh, John recommended uh, four books by James Babb, editor, former editor of Grace Sporting Journal. Um, and then also W.D. Weatherell wrote three books on fly fishing life about uh, about fly fishing in New England. Uh, Robert wrote about uh, Roderick Haig Brown's books. And Nick suggested a book called The River and the Forest by Jury Coronets. He says it was only published once in the 80s and it might be hard to find, but is uh, a great read. So that's just uh, seven or eight recommendations that I got from putting that article out. Um, I have gone on record and I will continue on record to say that as as much as I enjoy writing uh, a fly fishing website and contributing blog posts to people, uh, the long form book is truly where fly fishing literature shines. Uh, so my suggestion to you as we're getting into the chillier time of the year where you might not be fishing as much or you might it might be getting darker and so you have time inside is settle down with a good book. Find one that uh, kind of checks your boxes. If you like escapism uh, and, and you just want to read about about how places fish, find a good guidebook. I have coming in the mail a book about fly fishing in Texas that I'll inevitably talk about here in the in the coming months. And I don't have any plans to go to Texas, but I'm excited to read about the fisheries they have there, how there are trout fisheries, how there are fisheries for things like gar and uh, and some species of bass I've never caught before. So grab a book like that. If you want a good story, then, you know, you can't go wrong with someone like John Gearock. Pick up one of his books, uh, whether it's something that's come out in the last five years, something that came out 25 years ago. And that is a, a great path to to, uh, uh, to to start walking down. Um, if you want to improve your technique, and these are tough because these are really make you antsy because you start reading these books about how to fish and uh, and and how to how to you know do things on the water as you're stuck inside. Uh, I would say that's almost as dangerous as as fishing or reading one of those escapist style books where uh, you're 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 daydreaming about being on the stream. Because if you're reading a book about technique, you're actually going to want to be out on the stream, and so you might actually go do that. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Ed Koch's books. Ed Koch was a uh, fly fisherman in South Central Pennsylvania, and his books on fishing and tying midges, I suppose you do it in the other way around, tying and fishing midges are fantastic. Uh, you can get first and second edition hardbacks on Amazon or on used bookstores like Thrift Books as, as the website for relatively inexpensive. And the great thing about Coke's books is that they mingle technique and tactics with stories and with some of the personalities that you'll inevitably recognize if you have any uh, time 
time spent in the fly fishing culture and world at all. So absolutely suggest checking out uh, Ed's books, Ed Koch's books, for when it, when it comes to technique, especially with midges and small flies, something that every one of us could probably get a little bit better and better at fishing. So uh, I appreciate all those book recommendations. And if you are interested in fly fishing books and one of some of my recommendations, first and foremost, you're always welcome to email uh, Matthew at castingacross.com. Secondly, if you go to the website, castingacross.com, there is uh, a, a kind of a permanent post uh, that is if you're on the desktop on the right hand side, if you're on a device, you scroll all the way down and there's a, a, a link called fly fishing books and a picture of a library on there. And uh, there are links to recommendations for dozens and dozens of books. I think it's almost up to 50 right now. Um, but there are, I mean, 50 times 50 fly fishing books out there. So if you have a recommendation or if you're an author um, like Dave was, uh, let me know. And I'd be happy to read your book and happy to share your book with other people. So fly fishing books, make it happen. Read more. Our culture is good when people read. All right. Third and final uh, uh, thing today on, on on the podcast. So I I know I've talked about this before, but it keeps coming up. So I'm going to keep talking about it. So I had a video I put out a couple of years ago, and it's me walking through different styles and grades of nippers. And the video is called Nippers, Fly Fishing's Controversial Gear. Why is it controversial? It's controversial because there are $100, $150 pairs of nippers. Now, I don't own a pair of $150 nippers. I do have a couple of pairs of $100 nippers, though, to be honest. Uh, and, and that makes people angry. That makes people so angry on the internet, on social media, on message boards, that, that uh, I would own something like that. Well, I, I didn't buy them, if that makes you feel any better. But I use them, and I enjoy them, and I see their value. So anyway, um, Sparky, I don't know if that's his real name or not, commented, on this video saying, uh, still using a child nail clippers. Been using the same ones now for about 30 years with absolutely no issues. Pocket knife works good too. So I'm hoping he means the scissors on a pocket knife rather than just the blade on a pocket knife because I think that that's that's the crux of it. And that's fine. If Sparky, if that works for you, awesome. I'm not denigrating that whatsoever. But if someone's coming to me saying, I need to add some stuff because I'm a new fly fisher, what should I get? I'm not going to say, I hey, just use your, your Swiss Army knife. Um, that can be helpful in a pinch. And I certainly have used a knife in a pinch. It's way better than using your teeth. It's not more effective than using your teeth, but it's definitely better for your mouth than using your teeth. But here's here's the problem, right? If you're using the scissors in a pocket knife, the way that you are exerting pressure, you, especially on thicker uh, tippets and on thicker, uh, maybe even backing, um, and certainly in things like fluorocarbon and, and cider tippet that's that's thicker, it has the the tendency with with scissors to kind of push the line. It's going to push it uh, uh, forward as you apply uh, the 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 pressure uh, as you snip down with the scissors um, because it is that scissor motion, right? So will it work? Yes, but is it going to give you that kind of precision that you want and that accuracy that you want, especially if you're trimming the tag end off of a knot or especially of a fly? No, it's not going to give you that. Now, as far as child nail clippers, I think child nail clippers, and if you haven't been around a child in a long time, they are um, they've got a chubby handle. Um, and that allows you to really kind of get a grip on it. So you're not, they're not going to slide on you and potentially cause uh, injury to the child. Um, that would be the way to go as opposed to the dollar 50. It used to be 99 cents, but in this economy, dollar 50, uh, drugstore nail clippers, which those work great. But here's my issue with 
fingernail clippers as nippers. You have a concave surface that you are, are using to try to make those precision cuts. Now, is this a deal breaker? Absolutely not. But I want to be able to see what I'm cutting exactly where I am cutting it. And so for me, it is worth spending the $10 to get a real pair of fly fishing nippers where I, one, can snip where I want because the the blades come to a point. They come out. They might even be con probably not convex. They probably are parallel with one another, but they're pointing outwards. And then also there is a hook eye cleaner somewhere on that. That is worth the whatever, $8.50 difference, in my opinion. I don't lose things. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not prone to lose things. If you lose things all the time, maybe a bunch of $10 nippers is going to add up and you want to get a, a bunch of $1.50 nail clippers. But that is my main complaint with nail clippers is that they don't have the right face to approach making a good uh, um, snip on your, your tag ends. So, you know, take it or leave it. Um, $8.50, I think is totally worth it to, to buy something uh, a little bit better. I did have another comment on that. I'm, I know I'm going off of, um, of uh, a script here, adding another one, but on that same video, um, and it's from a few months ago, and uh, uh, Adventures with Frodo, I don't think that's his real name, unless he is a hobbit and he is fly fishing. Uh, he says, I prefer Dr. Slick scissor forceps. Now, if you get good forceps that have a, a nice strong grip and can apply good uh, a good cut, you will do well with those, especially with thicker, thicker fly line. So I, I don't want to, you know, cast all scissors to the wind, especially if they have a little bit of a, of a kind of a serration to them. Those will grab that fly line, not that fly line. You, I mean, in a pinch, you might need to cut fly line, but they will grab that tippet uh, very well and, and make a, a pretty decent cut. But again, uh, that is what I will use for like saltwater. Uh, that will use for like bigger warm water applications, but for trout fishing, for making things very finesse, a good pair of nippers, even if they're cheap, $10 or $50 or $100 uh, is going to do much better for you. Anyway, maybe this stirred something up in you. If you love double taper fly lines, you hate reading, and you are a huge devotee of nail clippers, then you'll want to write in with an accusation. Well, I'm here for it. Matthew at castingacross.com. As always, I do appreciate everyone taking the time to read and going the extra mile to uh, take the time to reach out uh, if, if you feel so inclined. I'm happy to interact and, and offer any sort of help or insight or direction that I can. That is one of my favorite parts of, of casting across and just doing what I do within this great little culture of fly fishing. This week on castingacross.com, Monday's article is called Stop the Clocks, Fall Bass. So not fall back, fall bass. Uh, I caught some bass on like, what was that, Saturday, Monday? And it was it was a relatively warm fall day and the fish are, were starting to move into their cold weather patterns. But we hooked up on a bunch of fish and we just had to make a few changes. So I outlined some of those changes uh, in, in this article. And they're simple things that you can do to get into warm water fish even when the weather starts to get colder because they're still going to eat. Fish are still going to eat. Their metabolism is going to change. Their patterning is going to change. They're not going to do the same things that they did in July, but you're still able to catch them. And uh, you don't have to wait for things to ice over to catch uh, to catch crappie and bluegill and bass. Uh, you can you can catch them in the, in the cooler weather months when the water is still open. Wednesday's article is called "Rusty Flybox Seasons Changing." 
Rusty Flybox Seasons Changing. So a lot of people got into this one, but it's kind of a cheat in that it's three different articles. And uh, they all have to do with the changing seasons. So uh, one had to do with the dilemma of football or fly fishing. Another has to do why that you might actually do better uh, when the weather is bad, why you might fish better when the weather is bad. The last one is being thankful for fly fishing. So we're a few weeks out from Thanksgiving, but I figured out through this in any way because I'm looking to buy that turkey and uh, cranberry sauce. And so Thanksgiving was on my mind. But check that out. Three articles within the single article called Rusty Flybox Seasons Changing. This week's recommendation on the podcast is your local state fish and game website. Now, I've actually recommended you go to your local fish and game website, your state fish and game website, a few times. I think I did it in the context of talking about public lands, and I did so in talking about uh, just making sure you're up to date on your uh, regulations and things like that. But something that I've really come to appreciate more as I have gotten into hunting more is being able to utilize some of the tools and resources on these websites to figure out where you can fish and hunt and how you can get to it. Uh, has opened up so many uh, new options, places I didn't even know existed. But generally speaking, there's maps that have overlays for different access sites and styles, uh, things that are conservation easements, things that are wildlife management areas, things that are uh, units for conservation programs, all that sort of stuff is all over these. Now, in the last week, I think I've been on Virginia's and Maryland's and Massachusetts and New Hampshire. I don't think I was on Maryland's, just those other three, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Virginia, just poking around and looking at stuff. And these are places I've lived for a long period of time, and I'm still finding new stuff. Does it necessarily translate into giant trout and you know limits of ducks? Not necessarily, but it is helpful to get more options. As the weather gets squirrely, as the pressure gets hot, uh, you're able to go and find new places and you know places that might even be close to home or close to where you're going to be already. They might be your second option or they might be your you know only a morning out option. But you can find these uh, through your fishing game website. Um, I'm not going to necessarily leave a link. You can go do that research on your own. Uh, but it is definitely a cool thing to do and a great way to kill time just to figure out, hey, what's around me? Uh, what what, ha what have my tax dollars gone towards potentially? And when you think about public lands, those are the kind of places that you definitely want to hit. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm -hmm.